0: Number 130223, a reading of each of seven episodes. Episode 1, A Year with the Church Fathers, Make Time for God, St. Basil, Hexameron 3.1. Episode 2, Through the Year with Thomas Merton, On Fasting, Seasons of Celebration, Episode 3, Magnificat, February, Volume 24, Number 12. Item number one, a reading from the Gospel according to Mark, Chapter 8, verses 11 through 13. Item number two, Meditation of the Day, A Faithful Generation. Episode number four, God's Little Instruction Book, One, Two, and Three, by Honor Books. Golden Nugget, number one, inspired by Proverbs, chapter 13, verse 22. Golden Nugget, number two, inspired from James, chapter 3, verse 5. Golden Nugget, number three, inspired by James, chapter 5, verse 13. Episode number five, Chesterson Day by Day, Browning. Episode number six, Betrayed. Episode number seven, Reflection. Episode number one, Make Time for God. There were many workers in St. Basil's congregation, and he knew how much they had to sacrifice just to come to church. But he promises them that their sacrifice of time will have a rich reward I know that many craftsmen who work in mechanical trades are crowding around me. A day's work is hardly enough for them to earn a living. So I must shorten my sermon so that I won't keep them away from their work too long. What shall I say to them? The time you lend to God is not lost. He will return it to you with large interest. Whatever difficulties may trouble you, the Lord will scatter them. To those who have preferred spiritual warfare or welfare, he will give health of body, sharpness of mind, success in business, and unbroken prosperity. Even if our efforts don't realize our hopes in this life, the teachings of the Holy Spirit are nevertheless a rich treasure for ages to come. So deliver your heart from the cares of this life and pay close attention to my words. What good will it do you to be here if you are here in body, but your heart is worrying about your earthly treasure? In God's presence, consider, How can I make more time for God, even when I'm so busy with everyday work? Closing prayer. Father, let your Son reign in my heart, so that I may no longer be a slave to the attacks of earthly desires. Episode number two. On Fasting Fasting is a good thing because food itself is a good thing. But the good things of this world have this about them, that they are good in their season and not out of it. Food is good, but to be constantly eating is a bad thing. And, in fact, it is not even pleasant. The man who gorges himself with food and drink enjoys his suffeting much less than the fasting person enjoys his frugal collation. Even the fast itself, in moderation according to God's will, is a pleasant thing. There are healthy, natural joys in self-restraint, joys of the spirit which shares in lightness even with the flesh. Happy is the man whose flesh does not burden his spirit, but rests only lightly upon its arm Like a Graceful Companion, episode number 3, a reading from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 8, verses 11 through 13. The Pharisees came forward and began to argue with Jesus, seeking for him a sign from heaven to test him. He sighed from the depths of his spirit and said, "'Why does this generation seek a sign?' Amen, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Then he left them, got into the boat again, and went off to the other shore. The Gospel of the Lord. Meditation of the Day. A Faithful Generation. It is argued that the belief of a Catholic rest on, must stand or fall with, the current estimates of the Gospel record. Now it is the opinion of some scholars that the documents have to be accepted with many reserves, and that our information about the first century is so slight and unreliable that at most a probable hypnosis can be built upon it, hence the grounds of faith are taken away. No Catholic will admire this argument, and an overwhelming case can be made for the credibility of the New Testament and for the interpretation which has been put upon it and upon the history of the first century by Catholics. But I adduce this criticism to show how idle it is, resting as it does on a completely mistaken conception of faith. The Catholic has no need to go anxiously back to the first century to be sure that he is right in his belief. He does not live in the past but in the present. He is not at the mercy of every breeze of expert opinion. The truth of Christianity is an obvious, uh, is as obvious now as it was to the disciples of the first century. The city set on a hill can be seen now in its majesty, overtopping all human edifices and designs, a manifesting in its glory the handiwork of a divine architect. In other words, there is present evidence. For the living Christ, sure signs of the word of life for those who seek with all their hearts to find and hear it. It will be well to take the saying of Christ, I am the way and the truth and the life, as the point of universal reference. The figure of Christ dominates the whole of Christianity. It is his word which summons us to eternal life. It is his truth which communicates to us certainty for within and from without, and it is not a life of merely human goodness which we embrace, but the life that is divine. The Catholic is already, and ready for that matter, to pick up the gauntlet of any rationalist and show that reason is on his side, that the evidence bears out his interpretation. He claims, that is, that he has embraced the truth, The message of Christ is indeed good news, for it is God's instant directive to embrace life eternal. The Catholic recognizes that the way is his life, seeing that he actually is to live not by his own life and thought, but by that of Christ in him by grace, and by Christ by word or command, and of command. We must remember that the message of Christ is not just better than that of any other. It is unique because it is supernatural. It is final because it is divine. Hence, it is that the ascent to his word contains in it the utmost assurance and the evidence and the recognition of the unquestionable authority of the author. Episode number four. The measure of a man's character is not what he gets from his ancestors but what he leaves his descendants. Proverbs verse or chapter 13 verse 22 A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. <clears throat> Although the tongue weighs very little few people are able to hold it. James chapter 3 verse 5 Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. James chapter V verse 5 You should never let adversity get you down, except on your knees. James chapter 5 verse 13 Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Episode number 5 let it never be forgotten that a hypocrite is a very unhappy man. He is a man who has devoted himself to a most delicate and arduous intellectual art in which he may achieve masterpieces which he must keep secret, fight thrilling battles, and win hair-breadth victories for which he cannot have a whisper of praise. A really accomplished impostor is the most wretched of geniuses. He is a Napoleon on a desert island. Episode number six. Betrayed. Our souls have been plugged into the mainframe of unceasing stimulants. It is our umbilical cord from which our mother, Vanity, continues to feed us. The lampada that lit the rooms and souls of the ancients Is extinguished in replace of the deathful dance of a flashing television screen. Vanity has been wed to beauty by the priest of pop culture, burying our concept of beauty six feet under. The mind is snatched from the heart, lacerated by vain gadgets and gizmos that aim to depersonalize and appease our suffering opening our eyes to the decay of our corruptible culture around us. We look up arms against it, and in our rebellion we searched for beauty through inclination towards truth. Yet we continually wallowed over its grave with a shovel in our hands, not knowing that we had helped hurried alive. Our blindness caused us never to find it, and the Movement towards the fullness of truth was cut off by our leaders who held the banner of no future. We wasted ourselves in a drunken riot, while vanity smiled upon us and rocking us in its cradle sung us a sweet lullaby that convinced us we were separate from this world. Yet we were on the brink of nothingness with no future and nothing to look to, left us as children of desolation." Just as we thought all was to be lost to the world and which was despised, some found a truth that was beyond our reason. Their hearts were joined with their minds and vanity dissipated as it fit into nothingness. The heart was full and the mind illuminated by a rebellion that was true, one that truly fought the world in valiant warfare, not willing to sit in the gutters of its filthiness and depravity, a rebellion that embraced suffering and glorified man through it. It revealed to them beauty rising from its grave to close our bones with flesh and to give us life. Now we call you, the generation that hangs on apocalyptic warfare, to climb out of the stench-filled grave the world dug for you. We call you to a movement, that is only for the violent, for what is struggled for, is taken only by force, Matthew chapter 11 verse 12. Through this rebellion we exalt beauty through truth, dispelling the falsehood and apostate of our age, climbing out of the melting plastic society around us, and what it continues to breed in us, a line needs to be drawn, and it is up to us before the bomb is dropped to choose for which we will live, vanity which has deceived and orphaned us, or for the truth which will make us whole and put us out of the hell in experience in vanity's embrace. Let us forsake our false manifestos and nail our old selves in the coffin, being pierced for the one who is, who always was, and remember him who will come, that we may forsake the myth around us, looking ahead for the resurrection of the dead and the life which is to come. Episode number two, or rather, episode number seven, Reflection. The good Stephan Nemanja, whose authoritative words were unconditionally heeded by everyone and who caused people and emperors to tremble, became a monk and served the monks of the holy mountain as an ideal example of meekness, humility, goodness, and piety. Even his death was the death of a truly godly man and spiritual director. He became bedridden on February 7th. He summoned St. Sava, placed his hands on him and blessed him, saying, My beloved child, light of my eyes, comfort and protector in my old age, Behold, the time of our separation has arrived. Behold, the Lord is releasing me in peace. But you, my child, do not mourn because of our separation, for parting is the common cup of each and all. Here we part from one another, but we will meet there where there is no separation. On February 12th, St. Simon asked Sava to clothe him in a burial cassock, To spread a mat on the ground, lay him there and place a stone under his head. He then summoned all the monks and asked their forgiveness. At dawn on February 13th, the voices of the monks chanting matins reached the cell of the dying one. Once more St. Simeon's face beamed and he gave up his soul to his God.